Well, good morning. It is so good to be able to be in here with you. Uh, most Sunday mornings, since August, since we were able to start having Crossroads again, I, I find myself in the Family Life Center, and uh, during this time, I'm usually finishing getting ready and helping our team get ready to welcome uh, folks into that space. So thanks for the privilege of, of getting uh, to be in here. Jeff, thank you um, for um, inviting me to, to preach for you this morning. Uh, I had my second shot uh, this past week, and it was touch and go there for a while. Um, and, and Jeff was checking on me, and he said, hey, man, uh, just so you know, like, I love this passage. If you want to team preach, uh, I'm happy to jump in with you, but um, wanted you to have a Sunday off, and, and thank God we, we got through that. Um, hey, this morning, first Sunday after Easter, we, we are beginning a, a series that will take us up through Pentecost. And, and one of the things that I love uh, to be able to do, one of, one of my favorite things that we get to do uh, as a staff is, is to spend time together, obviously. But as we're thinking about upcoming series, as we're thinking about preaching, as we're thinking about the, the ways that God might be moving, is coming together and just saying, God, what, where, where are you leading us? What is the direction that you would have us go as a church? What an incredibly difficult year we have just come through. And in many ways, we find ourselves left picking up the pieces of that and, and trying to figure out now what does life look like because it's almost normal, but there are so many things about it that aren't yet normal. And, and so what, what does that mean for us? And, and what does life look like as we, as we move on? And many of us have experienced loss over this past year. Loss of the way things used to be, loss of being able to spend time with family, loss of, of employment. Uh, maybe in that you've experienced some loss of identity. If your life has been wrapped up in operating a certain way and doing a certain thing, then when that's stripped away, all of a sudden you, you start to ask questions about who you are, and that's natural. Whether we realize it or not, we, we wrap a lot of our identity up in the things that we do. And so many of us have experienced loss, but we feel like God is leading us to consider what does it mean that God is a God of rebuilding? And God is a God who is able to take loss and take questions and take doubt and do new things out of it. And so as we begin this series, Rebuild, I, I want to read a, a scripture to you. And, and, th and this isn't the scripture for this morning, but it, I think it just sets the tone and, and will provide the theme for, for our entire series. This comes from uh, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter uh, 43, beginning with verse 18. God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And that instruction seems harsh, right? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. There are some former things that we're really grateful for. And that's not exactly what the prophet is, is saying here to the people of Israel. Forget the way God used to do things. Don't dwell on the way God has always operated in the past because God is doing a new thing. And friends, as a church and in our lives, we have an opportunity right now to look ahead and ask God, what new thing are you doing and how are you inviting us to be a part of it? Right? It, it's, it's easy to look around this room and, and to realize that things aren't yet the way that they used to be. Normally, we would have two 300 people in this room worshiping together as, you know, and we'd have a couple hundred people in crossroads. There'd be a service at 11 o'clock in which we have a room full of people as well. And it's easy to look around and say, well, that's not where we are. Things have changed. 
we are so thankful to be able to provide worship online and to invite folks from wherever they may be into worship with us. But if things aren't the way that they were, what is it that we can hope that things will be? God is a God of new. Since the very beginning, God has been at work redeeming the world. And that work will be completed when Jesus returns. But between now and then, church, we have an invitation to look ahead and to ask God, how is it that you are rebuilding and how is it that you want us to be a part of it? Now, the way that we get tripped up in that, and I want to get to our scripture in just a moment, but it's, it's, it's a privilege to get to kind of set up this series and invite us into the way that we will think for the next several weeks. We have to, to work against what culture conditions us to think when we're thinking of rebuilding or putting something back together, right? Culture tells us that it should be immediate. And if we can't do it immediately, then it's not worth doing it that way. Everything about this world and everything about what the world throws at us convinces us that things should be quick, they should be immediate, minimum investment, maximum return, right? How quickly do we, do we grow tired of the technology that we have because it's not fast enough, because it's, it doesn't give us the return that we want? And listen, I am notorious, notorious for taking shortcuts, when, when I was younger, my father introduced me to, uh, to, to modeling, like not, mod, not modeling, like I'm a model, like bu- building, choose your words carefully, building models, like die cast models. And my, my favorite model that I built was of the, the space shuttle. So many pieces, I mean, just an amazing, an amazing depiction of, of this incredible piece of machinery, Right. There were way too many steps. I mean, I think I might have been eight or nine when my dad handed me this. And I'm, you know, like, what, what was he thinking? And so I'm just big picture. Like, what's the big picture? And, and I, you know, I, I got it together, painted some of it, slapped some decals, decals on it. And, and there were some pieces left over. And I went to show my dad. And he said, well, you glued the cargo bay doors shut. Those pieces are supposed to go inside the space shuttle. It looks like the space shuttles just had a yard sale and sent all of this stuff out into space. Sadly, that has translated now into the fact that I am a uh, driveway mechanic. Uh, I'm the best YouTube mechanic I know. If I can find a video of somebody having done something on a car, then I'm willing to try it. And one time I was changing the rotors uh, and brake pads on one of our cars, and my brother and I always say the hardest part is getting a bolt loose, right? If you can get a a rusted bolt off, you can do the rest of it. So got the bolt loose, removed the caliper bracket, removed the caliper, removed the rotor, putting it all back together, and it goes back together so easily. And I look down, and there's a brake pad sitting on the driveway next to me because I wasn't paying attention because I was in a rush to rebuild this thing. I didn't follow the process. And so we want to invite you over the next few weeks to consider the, the process of rebuilding. This morning, we have an opportunity to consider what's been lost, both in our lives, in our faith, in our relationship with others, in our relationship with God, in the way that we understand church, what's been lost, not only for us as a church, but what's been lost for the church. We'll consider what it means to clear the way to take the pieces of what has been lost and and if they need to be dealt with and done away with to clear the way for God to do something new. 
We'll consider the foundation on which we are rebuilding. We'll consider the process of healing when we see God do something new. And we'll consider the formation as things begin to get together, come together. And then we'll consider, most importantly, I believe, what it means to continue to move forward as God rebuilds in our lives, in the church, and continues the work that God's doing in the world. This morning, it's one of my favorite passages as well. We have the opportunity to look at an incredible story of of loss and then hope in the midst of it. If you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, if you're able, please stand with me. We'll be in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going Further, But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. As we consider it this morning, may it be as it says of itself, living and active. God, would you use it to penetrate us to the deepest parts of who we are? You would use it to help us examine our hearts. God, challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Speak hope through your word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, God, for our good and for your glory and for the benefit of this world around us. Amen. You may be seated. So Luke sets the the stage here, that same day is, is Resurrection Day. It's Easter Sunday. 
as it were. We, we know the events that have happened already that have taken place, but here Luke shifts the story away from an empty tomb and to two travelers who are leaving Jerusalem and on their way to Emmaus. And these two travelers are followers of Jesus. They're not part of the 11, those who are left after Judas's betrayal and then his taking of his own life, but they are followers of Jesus. They were likely uh, in Jerusalem for the Passover as were other faithful people of God and, and very likely could have been part of those who were welcoming Jesus in his triumphal entry into the city on, on what we know as, as Palm Sunday. But now we find them returning home. And, and it's clear, you can read through the lines here in, in the way that Luke captures what is happening. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. We can read through the lines here that there is some sense of dejection and, and sadness and confusion that they are feeling as they walk along and, and the way that they are trying to process everything that they have experienced everything that happened to Jesus and then the things that they, they had heard about probably prior to leaving or maybe since leaving as there possibly were other travelers on the road with them that, wait, they heard that the tomb was empty and, and there was a report that something strange had happened, but all they had was an empty tomb. They didn't have Jesus. And if all we have is an empty tomb, then we don't know the hope that the empty tomb means. It requires that we meet Jesus in order to appreciate what happened on that Easter Sunday, on that resurrection morning. Luke, in his gospel writing, loves to tell a story through journey and through travel. And, and just... Almost as an aside here, I think it's so important for us to consider our own journey because it's easy for us to focus on the moment. As we are considering loss this morning and maybe things that we have lost over the past year and, and the way that things are, are different and the way that that makes life challenging and, and creates a lot of questions for us, our tendency is to focus on the problem that is immediately at hand. And while it's not wrong for us to do that, while we should pay attention to the things in front of us that are creating problem or confusion in our lives, if that's all we are focusing on, then we tend to lose sight of the goodness and sovereignty of God over an entire journey. So as you consider perhaps things that have been stripped away or, or ways that you have experienced loss, ways that we have experienced loss as a church, Rather than allowing that to create in us this sense of fear and doubt and dread and confusion and worry over what is to come, perhaps it's important for us to step back and consider a larger journey and to ask, God, would you remind me of the ways that you have been faithful over the course of my journey with you, over the course of our journey with you as a church? Another thing that we find helpful in the way that Luke tells this story and, and, and what these two followers of Jesus are, are wrestling with is that they are speaking together about what's been lost. They are speaking together about the doubt and, and the confusion. And, and this is another place I believe that we have to fight the tide of culture and, and that culture convinces us that we have to work through our problems on our own because no one else really wants to hear what's going on in our lives. And, and if they, you know, if they ask, then, you know, we're asked the question often, hey, how are you doing? And our response tends to be what? 
fine. Right? Like imagine what would happen as you pass somebody in the grocery store and they ask you how you're doing and you tell them how you are really doing. They start checking their watch or looking at their grocery list or like picking things off the shelf that they don't really need as they're pushing their cart slowly away from you because that's not really what they wanted to hear. They just wanted to hear fine and, and move on. We become convinced that the problems that we face, we should face alone and the confusion and the doubt and the fear and the worry. But what we see Luke tell us here is that there's a gift in speaking with others about the weight that we are carrying. And that gift is possible in Jesus. Jesus came to create a people, right? In his church, we see and are reminded of the fact that we were born out of the fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we were created for fellowship, yes, with God, but also with one another. And so as you are navigating, looking ahead and considering what's behind and considering where there is loss and where there is doubt and where there is confusion, are you inviting others into that conversation? Because chances are other people, while they may not be dealing with the same loss that you're dealing with, they are dealing with or have dealt with loss themselves. The next thing that we see is that Jesus meets us in that place of doubt and confusion and fear. As they walked along, Luke writes, as they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. We don't always recognize it when Jesus is in our midst, but Jesus is always faithful to enter into those places in our lives where we experience doubt and confusion. And I wonder if we just find ourselves too distracted to recognize the fact that Jesus is there. I mean, technology does us no favors. Our attention span is, is you know, like that of a puppy outside with squirrels around. I wonder if, if part of the process for us over the next several weeks is to lay some of the noise aside to quiet some of the things that tend to steal our attention and look for the ways that Jesus is present with us. And he, he asks them. He doesn't just walk along with them. Jesus asks them, what are you discussing together as they, as they walk along and then Luke writes as if it's that question, that question for them is like a record scratch. So they're walking along, Jesus asked the question, and then it says they stood, which means they, they stopped short in their tracks. As if to say, what? And then Jesus is asked a question in return. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? As if to say here, did you just crawl out from under a rock? Do you not know what just took place? And, and Jesus, so patient, responds by saying, what things? It's not that Jesus doesn't know what they're dealing with. It's not that Jesus doesn't know what took place. Obviously, he does because he was at the center of it. But in our own lives, it's not that Jesus doesn't know what we're dealing with. It's not that Jesus doesn't know what we're going through, the weight that we're carrying, the confusion, the mourning, that which has been lost. It's that he invites us into a place where we are willing to trust him enough in order to share those things. 
in order to share the things that we might be hesitant to share with anyone else. So Jesus patiently invites what they're dealing with out of them. What things? They begin to explain to him. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. I wonder later what it's like for Cleopas to consider the fact that he will go down in history as the one person who told Jesus about the crucifixion. Like later when he realizes, he thinks, oh my gosh, I just told Jesus about the thing that happened to him. That was a bonehead move. Now it's recorded forever for all all to hear. (laughs) Right? It's like John recording um, last week in what we read that he outran Peter. Poor Peter. Just thrown under the bus, right? Jesus patiently draws out of us that which we are questioning, that which we are worried about. And then verse 21, this, this for us, I think, is, is the key. They handed him over and crucified him, but we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Gosh, that opens up all sorts of things in our lives, doesn't it? What are the things in your life now that you've had to readjust because you had hoped things would be a certain way? You had hoped this past year would play out differently than it has. You, you had hopes for a future that this past year has, has have created a, a significant bump in the road toward. What are, what are the things that you are dealing with in terms of loss? Where, where is there hope that has been dashed? Where were their their plans maybe that you have made and now you've had to readjust course? What is the hope that has been compromised because things are not as they were 18 months ago? I think the question for us, and, and it's important for us to understand that it's not wrong for us to hope for things in our lives. As parents, it's not wrong for us to have hopes for our children and their future. It's not wrong for us to have hopes in the ways that, that we will be you know, gainfully employed and be able to take care of those that we love. It's not wrong for us to have hope for relationship. It's not wrong for us to have hope for the way that things play out in our lives and the lives of others. And the question is not so much what, what it is that we are hoping for, but what are we placing our hope in in order to see those things through? Are the things that you have placed your hope in able to bear up under the expectation that you place on those things? Because if one of our our hopes in life, for example, is is to, to know security and to know comfort and to know that we are loved and to be treated a certain way, do we do we place that that hope in an individual to provide that for us? And what begins to happen when that individual doesn't doesn't reciprocate or doesn't love us or doesn't pay attention to us the way that we would like? 
We hope, have hopes for our children, and, and as they grow, they realize that they are uniquely created and they are independent people, and, and, and they begin to maybe go in a direction that, that we didn't hope that they would go. What happens to our hope then? In order to see the things that we hope for come to pass, the question is, what are we hoping in in order to see that happen? And does the thing that we hope in bear up under the weight of expectation? Because unless it is Jesus, unless all of the things that we hope for are rooted in our hope in Jesus, none of those things will be able to bear up under the weight that we place upon them. So Jesus allows them to share. These are the things that we had hoped for. We had hoped that this Jesus would be the one who would, who would rescue us, who would bring us out from under pagan rules so that we as the people of God could, could worship freely. It's not that they didn't have an understanding of Jesus. It's that their understanding of Jesus was limited. Their understanding of this Messiah and who the Messiah came to be was not a complete understanding. And so they, they still saw it as, as freedom out from under the rule of Rome. That this, this idea of Pax Romana, the, the peace that, that Rome um, boasted about, that they created in all the places that they conquered, this peace that wasn't real because it was a peace created by oppression, the, the people of God wanted out from under that because they knew that wasn't real peace. But if all Jesus did was to free the people of God from the rule of one government, then they would eventually find themselves subject to the tyranny of something else. Jesus came instead to free them from a tyranny that is far worse, the tyranny of self and the tyranny of sin in their lives and our lives and the lives of the world. And so Jesus, after hearing what they shared, said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe. He didn't call them fools. He's not bagging on them. He's, 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 it's, it's his way of saying, you're, you're almost there. The hopes that you had were not entirely misplaced, but your hope wasn't big enough. Your hope was, was limited, and it's as if he says, I can do much better. And so then Jesus begins to invite them into a much larger story. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Imagine what a Bible study that must have been. Beginning with Moses, which means let's go all the way back to what we know as Genesis. Beginning with Moses, Jesus taught them something about Scripture that they hadn't realized and something that I think all of us need to learn as well. The way that N.T. Wright depicts this and, and, and what had taken place and, and what begins to shift for these followers of, of Jesus. He says, it's as if they were looking at Scripture through binoculars the wrong direction. 
My, my brother and his family live up the road from us. And uh, the older of their two girls, uh, Margot, uh, is almost, is she almost four? Almost four years old. Gosh, that's hard to believe. Well, so my brother's also a driveway mechanic, so we share tools, and, you know, so I'll have to go up there and get a tool from him late at night, or I'll, I'll take him something that, you know, that I've, I've borrowed, and my excuse really, yes, is to return his tool, but it's also to go play, go and play with my two beautiful uh, nieces, and I don't tell my kids that I'm going, because I want, like, some uncle-niece time, you know, without the cousins around, but one of my favorite things to do is to get in the floor and, and play with Margo. And she has an Explorer backpack because if you know uh, her father, if you know my brother Adam, then you know that he, he is an Explorer. He is happiest when he is outside. So she has a little Explorer backpack with binoculars in it. And, and I introduced to her last week how hilarious, how hilarious it is when you look through binoculars the wrong direction. And so she kept doing that. She would look at you know, her dad or her mom in the kitchen and say, you're so tiny. <laughs> Or look at things, you know, right in front of her on the floor and say, look how tiny the kitten is. Or, you know, when we view Scripture as if it's written about us, which is our tendency to do, it's as if we're looking through binoculars the wrong way. Because our view of Scripture is entirely too small and our view of God is entirely too small and our view of Jesus is entirely too small. Jesus didn't diminish the fact that these men had experienced loss. He didn't chastise them for having hoped in something. In the same way that he he won't do that to us. He will simply redirect that in which we place our hope. Because he knows that unless it is in him, we will always, always be let down. And so Jesus opened their eyes to the fact that Scripture from beginning to end tells the story of who He is. And in doing so, we do find ourselves in that story. But not because it's about us. It's about who God longs to be for us through Jesus. It's about who God longs for us to be because of Jesus. It's about what God makes possible and inviting us beyond our shortcoming and our suffering and our sin and our dashed hopes and our confusion and our loss into the possibility that there's more because of what Jesus has accomplished. And because from the very beginning, when things went south, God has been at work redeeming the world. Because when God created it in the beginning, he said it's what? It's good. It didn't cease to be good. God didn't throw it all out and say, well, I guess we got to start over. In the same way in our own lives, when our hope is misplaced and it leads us down paths that we aren't intended to walk down, and we, we call that sin when we choose our own way and rebel against God, God doesn't look at us and say, ooh, well, you had your chance. Instead, God looks at us and says, I want to do a new thing in you. He's willing to allow us to experience loss. He's willing to allow us to experience confusion and doubt and pain, especially if it will drive us to him. When we've exhausted all of our options, we find that the best option is the one that's left, and that is Christ. 
Jesus is revealed through the opening of his word. We see that Jesus is revealed in the breaking of bread. We don't have reason to believe that this is what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper. It was just table fellowship together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that Jesus is as present in the common table fellowship as he is in his supper. How is Jesus inviting you to examine that which you've lost in the past year or over a lifetime? How is Jesus inviting us as a church to examine things that we've lost? And rather than look at the vacancy that's left, instead to look at the possibility that exists, the possibility of something new. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Friends, as we prepare to respond, I want to invite you over this next week to do some examination, to examine where there's been loss in your life, to examine where there's been loss for us as a church, loss for us as a community, to ask God to speak plainly to you about those things in which you've placed your hope and to invite God through Christ to help you see that there's only possibility. See, I am doing a new thing. Do not perceive it.